Find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. We were at a special event, which was the Coxie Space Day. There we had the chance to talk to a great variety of different people and talk about their fields of interest. May they be students or professors. We talked about various aspects of cognitive science, such as neuroscience, linguistics, philosophy or artificial intelligence, and many more. All the interviews were kept rather short, and another exception of our bonus episodes will be that not only Zünke and me are hosting, but also our two amazing producers, Alina and Sophie, and both will jump into this role of being an interviewer. So stay curious and tune in. Uh, so now we are talking to Asia Achimova, who, well, you're gonna, we're going to learn what she's doing in a second. And yeah, thank you very much for being here. We are excited to talk to you now. I'm excited too. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, as always, we start with our short welcome game, or at least with a small part of our game, uh, where we give our guests one sentence. And for this special format, the sentence is, as a kid, I always wanted to be. Uh, I always wanted to be a teacher. A teacher for uh, school children or for... Yeah, for teaching English in school. In fact, I did work as an English teacher for a few years before I switched to research. Oh, interesting. Uh, so you already hinted at research. So how would you explain your research if I was a child of maybe 10 years old or 10 years age? Um, I work on um, modeling communication. So I try to build precise theories about how people communicate and in which situations people decide to say things that are not very precise, but rather that can mean multiple things at the same time. Mm. So in which situations do you prefer to stay ambiguous rather than precise? So it, it may sound very counterintuitive, being ambiguous, but it, it turns out that there are situations when this is actually an optimal strategy for you as a speaker. And this is what I'm trying to pursue. Could you give an example for when it is helpful for speakers? Imagine uh, we meet for the first time, like we did today, and I ask you, and I tell you, um, and I really want to discuss the results of the recent political election with you. But I know nothing about your political affiliation, and I'm a little bit worried that um, we might have opposite political views. So I could say something like, um, the election outcome was interesting, and wait for your reaction. Yes. Um, so... I would hope then that you wouldn't notice the ambiguity, but rather that you would resolve it according to your beliefs. And then I could either expose mine if our beliefs align, or I could hide mine and not say anything, not put something on the table. Yeah, you hinted at situations where you don't know the other person that well, but is it also right. helpful in friendships to use ambiguity sometimes? I think it happens in friendships too, but for a different reason. Uh, in friendships, we develop uh, a lot of common knowledge between us, and then we don't have to be very precise anymore. A lot of the information can be recovered from the, uh, from the things that we have in common. And then ambiguity plays a, a very interesting part. When you utter things that are ambiguous and you don't notice this, then the conversation goes well if you calculate it correctly that you have things in common. But if you miscalculate it, this can lead to, to miscommunication and misunderstanding. So I think um, our monitoring of how other people interpret our ambiguous utterances sends us a very strong signal of whether we are on the same page with our interlocutors. 
And are there any contexts where ambiguity is used a lot? So obviously meeting new people, but what do you have some other examples? I think it's also used for strategic reasons in political contexts. Mm. Um, when a politician wants to make a statement that will make the audience feel together with him for different types of audiences, right? But we can also think about um, contexts such as communication in a company where the manager wants to set, set goals for uh, her team. And she must set goals in such a way that every team member can relate. So saying things that can be interpreted in multiple ways can actually be a, a way to boost creativity. And um, when you do research on ambiguity, um, what are you looking at? Like, what are your examples? Do you just invite people and give them a topic to talk about it? Or how do you do research on that? Mm -hmm. um, so there's multiple ways to go. Uh, one approach is to collect examples of ambiguity from different types of texts. So you could study newspaper articles or you could look at a fiction. So in the literature, there is a lot of dialogues. So you could take a look at those. And uh, literature is an interesting source because it you also have a control over the context, right? So you know what events unfold in, in that literary piece. But you could also um, take a, a more constrained approach and create experimental scenarios where you ask people to choose an utterance out of a range of options that you offer them. And then you see whether certain factors that you are manipulating make people choose one utterance versus the other. For example, do they use direct utterances more often when they're talking to friends as opposed to talking to strangers and so on. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you mentioned that you started off as a teacher, but how did you get into this specific part of research? So how did it happen that you ended up here and what were your steps to get here? Um, I was working as a teacher when I was doing my undergraduate degree in English linguistics, but I always knew that I would like to pursue some research in parallel. And uh, research is such an, uh, such an activity that takes up all of your time. And that's why in the, eventually I thought that going to graduate school uh, would be something that I would like to pursue. And um, in fact, I moved to the US uh, to do my PhD at Rutgers University. And that's, that's when I started doing cognitive science proper. I feel like this whole field of ambiguity is not that much discussed. At least to me, it, it didn't occur that often. It occurred in one of the linguistic lectures in my first semester, but it wasn't that much of a topic during my whole studies. Mm -hmm. um, are there any recent findings that are really surprising to you? Where, so where you kind of read something where you thought, wow, I wouldn't have expected that part or... I think there are recent advancements about how precise can we be with our theories of ambiguity. I think people did study ambiguity in different fields, so uh, in organizational communication, so in communication between employees and employers in companies. Um, there, the study of ambiguity had a very applied purpose, and I think it was also studied in political science. Uh, in linguistics, um, theoretical linguists had a, an a kind of a negative attitude towards ambiguity for a long time. So uh, there is a philosopher of language, his name is Paul Grice, and he uh, formulated maxims or principles of uh, cooperative communication. So if you want to be a cooperative speaker, um, you're expected to actually avoid ambiguity. Yeah. That's, what, uh, that's what 
that our attitude was. And um, recently, I think this this trend changed when the theoretical linguists started noticing the benefits of ambiguity, right? So that you can um, you can actually pursue some social goals uh, by using ambiguous utterances that can be satisfied, uh, and then ambiguity suddenly becomes an optimal choice. Yeah. Um, I've also just heard recently, which surprised me regarding this topic, that in close friendships people tend to assume that people always know what they are thinking. Yeah. I would assume that therefore the utterance become a bit more ambiguous as yeah. well because people start to assume, well, the person knows me for quite some time. Yeah. When I'm talking about a topic, I don't have to explicitly name what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. I will just understand, or he or she will just understand what I'm talking about. But this also causes... Uh, more miscommunication in friendships. Is there any research on that? Or Definitely, I have this, uh, this intuition too. Um, there is research showing that as we develop closer or more communication with the same person, uh, our descriptions tend to become shorter. Right? So there is, in our communication, there is different pressures on us when we choose what to say and how to say things. Uh, and one of the pressures is to be Uh, so to use as few of the resources as we possibly can. And we can think about that simply in terms of uh, articulatory resources. So how much effort does it take to move your tongue and your mouth uh, just to express things, right? And also how much time it takes. Sometimes you are under time pressure and you can only say one utterance or very short utterance and the other person needs to understand this. Yeah, so um, the study of competing pressures is also what linguists right now do when they study ambiguity. Yeah, I feel like in linguistics I learned about the concept of common ground. Mm -hmm. So I think this is highly related to that because the more you know what your common ground is and the bigger your common ground is, I feel like the less you have to specify what you're trying to say. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very related to the topic of common ground. In fact, studying ambiguity might be a way for us to understand more about what makes up the common ground. Common ground is a theoretical construct. It's difficult to investigate it. And I think interpreting ambiguous utterances and also studying the circumstances when people decide to, to produce ambiguous utterances or when they inadvertently produce ambiguous utterances is an interesting way to pursue the topic of common ground. I also feel like the ambiguity could be used for like jokes because it's like very specific, but also to deceive people. I feel like the Yeah, it goes into many different directions. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned jokes, and I'm also thinking about things like irony. So saying things that are ironic um, is a rather dangerous move because you are counting on the other person sharing the common ground with you. If they don't, then the joke will fail. And uh, depending on how harsh the joke was, that might cause some social uh you know, social price that you will have to pay on for, for making this joke. So it's definitely a very interesting topic and also um, a topic that have been pursued from the formal side. So formal linguists have tried to formulate mathematical theories of irony, of when can people make ironic utterances and how they are interpreted.
wow, okay, yeah, I was just, my head was just going to another direction, but I wanted to come to our next question right now. So, um, are there any scientists, dead or alive, you really want to chat with because you think they are fascinating, they might have an idea that could influence you or inspire you a lot? Um, I've mentioned already today the philosopher Paul Grice, and I would really love to have coffee with him if that were possible. It's no longer possible, unfortunately. But he had such a profound influence on the field of pragmatics uh, where I work uh, that I feel that sharing my ideas with him and hearing his perspective would be very valuable. Is there anything in particular you would like to ask him or um, you would like to know from him? Well, since he had such a, very, such a strong position on ambiguity, I would like to challenge the idea of ambiguity avoidance and uh, discuss um, whether he believes including other types of goals into the conversation could justify the use of ambiguity. So thank you very much. I think I feel like this is a really good stop point as well. Sounds uh, great. So thank you very much for taking the time to come here, talk to us and well, giving us such interesting insights into the research of ambiguity and linguistics. Thank you. I enjoyed the conversation very much. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. When you enjoy listening to us, the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app. This could either be Google Podcast, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. Another good way to support us is by following our Instagram account, which is called kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palme and Sönke Löw, produced by Elina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palme, Sönke Löw and Sophie Kühne. Produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan Lukas Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter. Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on cognitive science.